0: For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website.
1: Tonight's chant will be the Ehe Koso Hatsugonmon. And we will begin by chanting the repentance verse three times. So I will go ahead and share my screen. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. All my ancient, twisted karma, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow Ehe koso hatsugamo. <laughs> We vow together with all beings from this life on throughout numerous lifetimes not to fail to hear the true Dharma. Hearing this, we will not be skeptical and will not be without faith. Directly upon encountering the true Dharma, we will abandon mundane affairs and uphold and maintain the Buddha Dharma. And finally, together with the great earth and all animate beings, we will accomplish the way. Although our previous evil karma has greatly accumulated, producing causes and conditions that obstruct the way, may the Buddhas and ancestors who have attained the Buddha way be compassionate to us and liberate us from our karmic entanglements, allowing us to practice the way without hindrance. May the merit and virtue of their Dharma gate fill and refresh the inexhaustible Dharma realm so that they share with us their compassion. Ancient Buddhas and Ancestors were as we, we shall come to be Buddhas and Ancestors. Venerating Buddhas and Ancestors, we are one with Buddhas and Ancestors. Contemplating Awakening Mind, we are one with Awakened Mind. Compassionately admitting seven and accomplishing eight, obtains advantage and lets go of advantage. Accordingly, Long Yes said, what in past lives was not yet complete, now must be complete. In this life, save the body coming from accumulated lives. Before enlightenment, ancient Buddhas were the same as we. After enlightenment, we will be exactly as those ancient ones. Quietly studying and mastering these causes and conditions, one is fully informed by the verified Buddhas. With this kind of repentance certainly will come the inconceivable guidance of Buddha ancestors. Confessing to Buddha with mindful heart and dignified body, the strength of this confession will eradicate the roots of wrongdoing. This is the one true the one color of true practice, of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the Ehe Koso Hatsuganmon. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Our first woman ancestor, great teacher, Mahaprajapati. Our first ancestor in China, great teacher, Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher, Ehe Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher, Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom, Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world. Gratefully, we offer this virtue to all beings, all Buddhas throughout space and time. All honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, maha Prajnya paramita.
2: Good evening, everyone. So I want to talk about uh, well, right speech, but also skillful means. So uh, well, the right, right speech is one of the eightfold uh, uh, eight paths, the, the fourth of the uh, four noble Truths. the eight are right view or understanding, right intention, right speech which I'll talk about tonight, right action, right livelihood, which I'll talk about Sunday morning for Labor Day weekend, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. So the teaching I want to talk about tonight is from a text called the, Abhaya, the Prince Abaya Sutta. So it's a pre Mahayana um, text. Um, and it, it includes uh, uh, four aspects of right speech. And uh, I would also say there are uh, four aspects of skillful means. Uh, So the situation in the sutta is that Prince Abhaya has been uh, told by one of the teachers of the time who was a competitor with the Buddha to to ask the Buddha a question question. and if he answered yes, there's things that... uh, Prince Abaya was supposed to say, or if he answered no, things that Prince Abaya was supposed to say. And um, this was to kind of the Buddha. So the question was um, yeah, uh, so Prince Abaya went to the Buddha and the and said, Lord, with the Tathagata say words that are unendearing and disagreeable to others. And the Buddha answered, Prince, there is no categorical yes or no answer to that. So uh, the plans of this other teacher were destroyed at that point. Uh, And then uh, the Buddha spoke about four ways in which could speak do one could engage in right speech basically the four are to speak to speak what is true to speak what is beneficial to speak it at the right time when people are receptive and to speak what is agreeable so basically this is about speaking in a way that is correct and kind so this is posed as how a buddha or a teacher should speak. Uh, In the text it says, in the case of words, so this is the Buddha speaking, in the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be factual, true, beneficial, but unendearing and disagreeable to others, he has a sense of the proper time for saying them. So he wouldn't, so the Buddha says he wouldn't speak if what he was going to say would be disagreeable to others. Uh, and then he 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 said has a number of these different cases, but the other one i 'll mention he says, in the case of words that that the Tatakata knows to be factual, true, beneficial, and endearing and agreeable to others, he has a sense of the proper time for saying them. Why is that because the Tatakata has sympathy for living beings, so uh, the point of this is just that right speech should be that which is helpful, beneficial. Right speech should, should be what is true. The right speech should be uh, at the right time when, uh, when people can hear it, when people can receive it, can, people can respond based on it and what is agreeable. So um, these, these uh, are four ways of thinking about what is right speech. So in the text, this is talking about how, uh, but I think this in some ways also applies for us as bodhisattva practitioners to take it out of the uh, uh, pre-Mahayana context. And I could add a a fifth aspect uh, uh, to speak, referring to, in accord with the ancient sages, in other words, what would the ancestors do? How would the ancestors speak? So um, even though this is how what a Buddha um, speaks, uh, there's a way in which this is helpful for us as practitioners to think about in terms of how, what is right speech for us. The Buddha also adds that this is not something that is calculated beforehand that uh, uh this is something that, that the Buddha speaks um, truly in the situation that the Buddha is in. So, um, in this case, this is also instructions for teachers um, on how to, to, to uh, speak uh, in a way that is helpful, in a way that, that, that is true in a way that is agreeable uh, and also uh, at the right time. So if if it's a situation where people can't hear it, can't receive what is being said, that would not be a right time to speak it. Um, so this I think this applies not just to right speech, but also to the Mahayana practice of skillful means. This is to uh, to talk in a way, to speak in a way, to act in a way that is, that is beneficial for all beings. And, for, and that means also, uh, this is the basic practice of compassion, that means also uh, to be aware of the different kinds of beings. So again, what would be uh, not disagreeable to certain beings might be disagreeable to other beings. So, that, so skillful means is uh, uh, a practice of compassion. This comes from the Lotus Sutra uh, and uh, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, Kanzayana, of Halakiteshvara, who hears the sounds of the world. So skillful means is, also, is a teaching of the one vehicle. In the Lotus Sutra, it talks about uh, that really all beings are doing the Buddha work but in different ways. So skillful means is about how to respond. To, in a way, this adds another to the four categories. This is it's kind of like what is the right time to speak, but it's also uh, understanding how uh, these words, this right speech, uh, this skillful practices will be beneficial. Of course, that they are true and that they won't be disagreeable and that they are at the right time. So, especially skillful means applies to how to say something at the right time. This is this is a practice that we could all think about in terms of how do we give or receive feedback. If you have a friend who you want to say something to that um, they may or may not um, find disagreeable, how do you say it at a time when they can actually hear it? How do you how do you uh, give feedback to someone, not just because you have some idea about what they should be doing or should not be doing, but in a way that is skillful, that will be that actually they can benefit from. So again, in some ways, these are instructions for uh, teachers. Uh, and and uh, in Zen, there's a kind of different twist on this. So um, again, I, just to, just to repeat these four because I think they're really helpful categories for thinking about how we speak and how we respond to others in the world and how we respond to situations in the world, to see and say what is true. to see and say what is helpful, what is beneficial to see and say, say things as they are agreeable as people will be um, not find them disagreeable but we'll be willing to uh, hear them. And then again, at the right time. And then there's this other aspect, which is, um, you know, what would the ancestors do? What would the uh, great masters of the past do? So we talk about the koans, the old teaching stories and Zen. And in those teaching stories, a lot of times, you know, in these dialogues between teachers and students, The teachers say things that are disagreeable. (laughs) The teachers sometimes say no, sometimes criticize. So there's a kind of uh, different context to that. Um, So um, sometimes uh, it's not just in koans that the teachers will say no and say things that are disagreeable, but uh, also... um, in the in the t- in the zen tradition uh sometimes the teachers will be really critical of their students and well there are things like the kiosaku which was the, the some of you may have experienced that i don't know if they still do it in minnesota matt use the kiosaku no most places in america most Zen places do not use the kiosaku but that's a a stick a uh, big flat stick that one goes there's people who are trained to do it go around behind the students sitting facing the wall, and uh, when there's different ways that it's done in um, in America, we used it used to be that the, that you would rage, them, would you would go into Gashua if you wanted to be hit by in the stick, by the stick, and then they would hit you um, on the on the shoulders, um, and sometimes really hard, but it's kind of like you know i used to go around the zendo instead of using a stick massaging people's shoulders a little bit um, it's the same it's the same thing the stick would, would help release some of the tension um, so that's an example of something that might not be agreeable when uh, places i sat in japan actually i'm thinking of a Rinzai temple where i sat in japan uh, and it was a small uh, uh, a Zendo situation. Well, maybe there were a dozen or so seats, but the person going around with the stick would hit people, even if they didn't ask, and hard. And um, it was clear that there was one younger monk who was hit every time the guy passed behind him, and it was sort of like a hazing thing. Anyway, that's uh, certainly not agreeable. Was it beneficial? Was it the right time? I don't know. Um so uh, it, the way it was, has been, was used in America was mostly when the student asked for it. We don't use it anymore. I don't know if there's any, but any of the San Francisco Zen Center lineage temples that use it. Um, probably some of the Rinzai temples use it. But it is along with the Kyosaku in the old teaching stories. Um, sometimes there are stories about the teacher slapping the student or hitting the student Sometimes, I don't know if this will work on Zoom, so I'm not going to do it, but sometimes the teachers would yell loudly. I used to do this occasionally in our Zendo at Irving Park Road. I haven't tried it out on Zoom, so I won't won't do it. (laughs) But uh, these are, you know, uh, actions that might be seen as disagreeable. So... For Zen teachers, uh, these are kinds kinds of giving feedback, um, and sometimes in talks on and inter in personal interviews, also a teacher might say something that is harsh, even, or that is critical, or that is feedback. Sometimes it's good to ask, "Would you like some feedback?" <laughs> or um, Sometimes uh, my teacher at, says, "Oh, would you like to give me some feedback?" So there's a mutuality between teacher and student in Zen. But it's not all. But uh, rather than these four, what is true, what is beneficial, what is at the right time, what is agreeable? It may not seem agreeable at first. So uh, this is part of the job of the Zen teacher. Uh, as as distinct from the way the Buddha talks about how, uh, what is right speech. So uh, you know what, how, and how to say this at the right time. That's very important. That's part of skillful means. How to uh, give strong feedback when the person can hear it, or when the person needs to hear it. So there were times early on in my training with my teacher when he spoke very harshly to me but it was helpful it was something i needed to to hear so um sometimes i speak about what's going on in the world even if i think it might be disagreeable to some people to hear about this Uh, maybe we all know about all the problems in our society and in the world and uh Sometimes people come to uh, to do zazen or to Zen temple because they want to feel calm and not be bothered by the things of the world. But I feel like sometimes it's my responsibility to say things that might be harsh, but are things that people need to hear or that need to be said. So um, right now, we, uh, in New Orleans and Mississippi and along the Gulf Coast, people are really suffering. Uh, I heard a hundred thousand people are at homes are out of don't have power. maybe it's much more than that, and that there will be parts of the southern Louisiana area that will be uninhabitable for i don't know weeks, a couple of weeks anyway. Um, so uh like during Katrina and even more now. Uh, there will likely be leaks into neighborhoods of indigenous and African-American people who, who suffer the most. And, and of course, are suffering. From, we're all suffering from the effects of COVID indirectly or directly. Um, there's also nuclear power plants in the area where the where Hurricane Ida hit. So there's flooding. There's no power. Um, it's a very dangerous area, a very dangerous situation during Hurricane Katrina, which was exactly 16 years ago, yesterday, so the Hurricane Ida hit on the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, Um, uh, a lot of the chemical plants and uh, oil facilities leaked and uh, polluted the area. That's probably going on now even more. Now we know that uh, fossil fuels are more expensive actually, then sustainable energy, solar energy, and so forth. Um, but, but because of subsidies, tax breaks and got subsidies from the government, fossil fuel industry continues. And, in fact, ExxonMobil uh, is going to be starting oil drilling in Guyana, they announced, in the middle of the hurricane. Uh, Guyana is on, this, on the north coast of South America, just east of Venezuela, um, I had to look it up myself. Um, but it's, it's not, it's going to be an area that's not protected. And the way they're doing it is not without protection from leaks or blowouts like there was at BP Horizon. Uh, and we know this will intensify climate breakdown. And ExxonMobil actually did research back in the seventies and they knew the executives of ExxonMobil knew What the effects of climate damage would be and that fossil fuels would, would very much help cause this. But instead of changing their business plan or alerting people, they, uh, uh, spent lots and lots of money to, uh, support climate, support, uh, climate change denial. So anyway, this is, uh, maybe harsh speech. This is not something we want to hear. But this is also some, one of the things that's happening. Uh, so, uh, and I and I hesitate sometimes to talk about such things. I know some people don't want to hear don't want to hear about it as a context and don't want to hear about it in general because it's painful and it's and uh, we're all in danger from all from climate and many other things now. Um, but I think it's worth thinking about how do we respond skillfully in the world. How do we speak? Um, And again, the the thing about speaking agreeably is uh, something for, uh, or or not speaking agreeably, as in Zen teachers, is something for teachers or for Buddhas, but for all of us as um, Zen practitioners, as Bodhisattva practitioners dedicated to helping benefit beings and helping awaken beings. Uh, I think these four are uh, helpful categories to think about. When, what we say, when we say it, how do we respond or act? How do we uh, help each other? So again, uh, to speak what is true what we know, what is factual and true, to speak what is beneficial. So uh, the point I'm making about uh, sometimes teachers speaking harshly is that sometimes that's beneficial for people to to hear. uh, What's the right time? And this is really tricky. This is the art of skillful means. How do we know when to say something that... The other person will hear and can and and can uh, respond to and uh, can actually change um, and then just um, to, to say what is agreeable uh, an example I've used many times is from a, a student of mine uh, uh, back in California when I before I moved to Chicago in two thousand and seven when I had a, a a few different, actually a sangha that was made up of three different places. But one of the, one of the students there was a a law uh, secretary, a law um, researcher, legal researcher. Uh, And uh, in her firm, there was a woman who was, uh, did not speak agreeably, was kind of nasty and mean. And uh, Rose was patient and, uh, you know, just didn't say anything and observed and um, and spoke kindly to this person. And at some point, this lawyer, she said to Rose, I've been really mean, haven't I? But it was because Rose was able to speak uh, kindly at the right times when this person could hear it. So this is not this has to do with how we respond to social issues, but also it has to do with how we respond to each other, how to be a good friend, a good spiritual friend. How do we speak, basically, usually speak agreeably. There are other, these other occasions when someone needs uh, a slap or a shout or whatever to wake up. And that's the point of uh, what Zen teachers do, is to help everybody wake up. But also, how do we speak in a way that's agreeable? that the other person can hear? How do we say, uh, sometimes just to give a little bit of feedback in a kindly way at the right time when the other person can hear? And this, so this is, you know, a Buddha knows this because they know uh, how the people are thinking. And when we know, when we're intimate with each other in Sangha, in spiritual community, when we uh, know and feel, you know, kind of have a sense of each other, Sometimes we can, and if we're patient and wait, sometimes we can say something right at the right time and the other person can hear uh, and change. Uh, so, you know, sometimes we're, we feel critical of, of people around us in our work situation, whatever. Um, but rather than being critical, how do we try and be helpful, be beneficial, and to help them to see um, that there's some some way in which they're being disagreeable or not being helpful. So this is a, so this skillful means of practice is a real art. It's not easy, um, and yet, uh, well, for for Buddhas, theoretically, they know what every, how everybody's thinking and feeling. And sometimes for Zen teachers, we know our students well enough to know when's a good time to to uh, give some uh, harsh feedback. Uh, most of the time, um, uh, we just have to, you know, try, yeah, skillful, skillful means is trial and error for those of us who are not yet Buddhas. <laughs> How do we make mistakes? How do we try and give feedback or say something or respond? in the world, to situations in the world, in society, but also with our friends and family and with each other? How do we uh, pay attention and then, when it might be the right time, try something? So for, for Bodhisattva practitioners, we need to make mistakes, and sometimes people talk about making the right mistake <laughs> or making helpful mistakes. So we learn skillful means by trial and error, by trying things and uh, seeing what the result is and paying attention. So all of this requires paying attention. You know, we could apply this to our zazen. How do we uh, sit in a way for ourselves that is helpful? that is agreeable, that is at the right time. And it's true. So as we're sitting, you know, sometimes we have to give ourselves feedback. Oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm slouching or I'm leaning one way or another, or a teacher in a, in a physical Zendo, it's hard to do on zoom. Uh, sometimes I would go around and just make postural suggestions, uh, not corrections, but just suggestions. Oh, you might try sitting like this instead of like that. Anyway, um, all of this is trial and error and involves making mistakes, but learning from mistakes. So for software practitioners, skillful means, again, it's an art, but um, we try and be beneficial. We try and say what's true. But we make mistakes, and so we we learn from them. And we also are patient, so we may wait for the right time. Sometimes the best thing to do is to not do anything, just to just to sit there, to not say anything to somebody who needs some help in shifting how they are behaving or speaking to others. This is a problem now when uh, in our world when uh, there's so much division. And uh, many of us have people, we have family or friends that um, we might disagree with, uh, but trying to just say, oh, you're, you're, you're wrong or you're stupid or whatever, uh, you know, that it may not be helpful. So it's difficult. This is an art that's really applicable right now. How do we talk to people who disagree with us? or who disagree with us strongly. So maybe we can find out what is agreeable to talk about with each other. Um, what, are, what are the things we can agree on? Um, anyway, this is all the, the uh, realm of skillful means and it requires paying attention. And uh, speaking what's true, speaking what's helpful, What's it, how to say it at the right time so somebody can actually hear it. If you're just going around trying to convert people to your point of view, that's usually not going to be helpful. So how do we, how do we um, sometimes make mistakes, but pay attention? And sometimes the practice of patience is necessary, which means sometimes not saying or doing anything, but paying attention and being ready and willing to say or do something when it might be helpful, when we think it'll be helpful. And then we'll see if it is. (laughs) So anyway, so so I want to open this up for discussion to talk about uh, right speech, about skillful means, about how we actually can be helpful with each other, how we can speak truth, how we can be agreeable, or, you know, when are the times to be disagreeable? And that's... um, Maybe not. Maybe not something I would recommend. And also, how to how to say or do something at the right time, at the appropriate time. So uh, there's one of one of one of the great uh, koans or teaching stories is uh, a monk asked Master Yunmen, "What is the teaching of a Buddha's whole lifetime?" So in this text, this Prince of Baya Sutta, we're we're hearing the these the teaching of a Buddha's lifetime in terms of these four categories. But um, Yun-men said an appropriate response. So we try to find appropriate responses to a situation, to a friend or family member or uh, spiritual friends, fellow sangha member. And um, so it's kind of an art. And uh, sometimes it's better to just say or do nothing until we're ready, until they're ready. Anyway, I want to open this up for comments, responses, questions about right speech and skillful means. So um, please um, give your responses or reflections. If I can see you, I'll call on you. And Maybe, uh, Alex, you can help me. Uh, for people uh, who I can't see, you can go to the participants window and uh, raise your hand. And Karen has already raised her hand. So go ahead, Karen.
0: Thank you so much. I um, I don't think i would ever made a connection between right speech and skillful means. But as you laid it out today, it made so much sense to me. So thank you for that. Something you said um, brought a question to my mind. It was something that you said about skillful means in meditation and Zazen. And um, I find myself struggling with knowing the right time to meditate. There are times when I can sort of maintain a very good routine and do it every morning or on a set schedule of mornings. Um, And then there are times when that feels hard, if not even impossible. And um, then trying to force myself to do it becomes actually an unskillful effort and, I was wondering if you could comment on that.:
2: That's a wonderful, practical question. Thank you. Yeah, and again, I don't well, I don't think there's one right answer, so um, you know t- t- this idea of uh, acting or speaking at the right time means speaking at the right time for each person, so there's not one answer for everyone so you know i think traditionally in residential uh practice people sit early in the morning and that's a tri- one traditional way and for a lot of people having a schedule where you where you um speak where you sit the same time every day is helpful however i think as you indicated sometimes that can be um burdensome um, so you know, if if you feel if it's if it's um, disagreeable, and you feel you can't sit at the certain at the time that's scheduled, that's okay. Uh, to sit whenever it does work for you. So uh, so personally, uh, I I like to sit in the morning, but sometimes I get involved in uh, uh, various other. Uh, commitments and i end up speak, sitting late in the afternoon so i think to be flexible is also part of this that's also part of skillful means to be flexible with yourself to be flexible with others so and sometimes some days maybe you're not if you don't sit that's okay you don't have to give up sitting forever if you miss a day <laughs> um but try but try and find if try and find a time that's, that works for you whether it's in the morning or afternoon or even evening it's different for different people but also sometimes you can just uh, uh suddenly find oh i can sit now and um you know uh so i know some people who um you know take a break at work and and during a, a lunch break will just Sit maybe in a chick in their chair and do zazen. And actually going through the day, it's helpful to when you're feeling uh, stressed or, or or tense or whatever, just to stop and pause and actually take a breath or three or four or five just to feel just to connect with your breathing. So all of us through our zazen practice have a relationship with our breath we can enjoy our inhale and exhale. And so sometimes even if you can't even on a day when you haven't sat or even if you have sat in the morning, you might uh, be in some situation during the day when you need to hit the pause button and just take a few breaths, just uh, come back to being present and upright. So anyway, it's this is also a kind of uh, a kind of art, you know, and there's not one right way for everybody. This is part of the idea of skillful means is that each person has their own uh, appropriate time. So that's the, the part of the these four, what is the right time? So for yourself, what is the right time? I don't know if that responds to your question, I hope so. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So Mark has his uh, hand up.
3: hello everyone um two quick comments um and thank you for having me tonight this is my first time joining the zoom community um, one is this is really resonating with me right now um, because i'm having i'm finding myself having some very difficult conversations with people that I really care about about being vaccinated or not oh. um and and now that um F- the Pfizer vaccine has been fully mandated by the FDA or the FDA. I feel like these conversations are resurging. I feel like it's an opportunity to say, okay, you're, you were hesitant before, but look now. And so I'm I'm finding myself in these conversations. And so I just think this tonight was very on point for that about waiting for the right time because there was a lot of pushback before. And the second comment um, is that. You were mentioning about uh, beneficial mistakes or making the right mistake, and it really reminded me mm-hmm. of something I think I heard Pema Chodron talk about. Call where she says, "Fail, fail again, fail better," and I think that sometimes I can speak for myself. I get wrapped up in, "Am I doing this right? Am I, you know?" All and learning to be kind to yourself, and that failure is actually a, a way towards a goal in some ways, and it actually can bring you closer. I think really tied in with what you were saying about making the right mistake, so those both really resonated with me. so thank you.
2: You're very welcome. Where are you coming to us from Mark?
3: Old Irving Park.
2: oh' you're, in, you're on You're in Chicago.
3: I am in Chicago, yes. I, I attended the the temple okay, um, several years ago, so.
2: Okay great great. Yeah so um and welcome and please come again. Um so yeah um the thing about making mistakes is um it's not that you, you know well there's a, a, one of my favorite songs is the song of the Joulmare Samadhi, which we sometimes chant and there's a section where it talks about um that can be translated as mis- making mistakes is is auspicious. Uh, it's not that we should try and make mistakes (laughs) but we do we're we're fallible we don't and especially when we're trying to you know the example you gave of talking to people about vaccines is a good one uh we don't always know how to say something like that that might be controversial to someone and so we're likely to make mistakes um there's a an uh one of the Shobo Genzo essays by Dogen, the founder of this tradition in the early 13th century in Japan, um, or who continued the tradition from China into Japan, uh, there's an, one of his essays, he talks about falling on the ground. And when you fall, he says something like, when you fall on the ground, get up from the ground. But then he says, when you fall on the ground, get up from the sky. <laughs> or when you fall into the sky, get up from the ground. So you know there's not one right way. In each situation, we have to find our way to. Um, when we when we, you know, when we think we've made a mistake, sometimes what we think is a mistake isn't a mistake. So we, you know, I, I mentioned the eightfold path, and one of them is right right understanding. Uh, but part of right understanding is not holding to any particular. View of what is right view or right understanding uh, to be uh, willing to not know what to do. So, um, you know, from, in terms of the example of vaccines, in terms of these four, you know, to say what's true. Well, clearly, the vaccines help because the places where the COVID is spreading and the variants are spreading is where there's people haven't been vaccinated. Mm -hmm. What is helpful? How do you say something that's helpful? And how do you say it at the right time? And how do you say it in an agreeable way? These are are kind of good guidances for us in terms of how we deal with all these things. So anyway, thank you for your question. Other comments or responses or reflections about right speech or about skillful response in the world? Hi, Co.
0: Um, the the thing that's been rising for me is, again, I, I It, it I, I really like breaking it down to the four categories, but then it really kicks the can into the discernment processes and what's the right time and also what's beneficial. Mm-hmm. What I think is beneficial may not be beneficial. So to have the intention to do something beneficial is useful, but just because I have that intention doesn't mean that's what's going to come up for me and and right so what i was thinking about as far as determining how how useful zazen is because when i come to the stillness what rises in me is usually so much closer so much a better failure than when i'm in the momentum uh, of the
4: the response
2: Yes, so right attention is one of the uh, part of the Eightfold Path, and it's very important. So uh, we we can make mistakes, but if we intend to be beneficial, if we intend to be kind, uh, if we intend to try to uh, respond at an appropriate time, uh, that makes a big difference. And it's okay if we make mistakes. We will make mistakes. As human beings, we don't understand everything. Uh, We don't know everything. Um, But yeah, what you say about zazen, I agree. It's very helpful to have this practice of just sitting upright, enjoying our inhale and exhale, feeling what we feel, having the thoughts and feelings running through and letting them go, coming back to being present, um, this practice helps helps us helps ground us in some um, ultimate context, some universal ultimate context. And when we when we're we're acting from that, and it's not that we have to think about that. It's not that we have to think about what's the universal truth, but just having the practice of zazen and continuing that practice and doing it over time, we it starts to become part of our. Heart-mind, part of our body, part of uh, how we respond off the cushion, too. So that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. But to have some sense, you know, Suki Roshi talked about constantly losing our balance against this background of perfect balance. So we kind of connect with that background in Zazen. So, yes, thank you, Ko. Jerry, Hi. Hi. Um,
4: I was thinking about what Co was saying, and it, it made me think about that part of right speech is also right listening, that how we listen to what people tell us, and especially when she said, you know, if you have the right intention, sometimes we need to take a step back when we hear something that might be disagreeable and say, well, wait, you know, they're not trying to be mean here or, you know, that we should give the other person the benefit of a doubt that they're really well-intentioned and maybe we don't want to hear it, you know, and that's not to say whether they're right, wrong, or indifferent, but but there's something about right listening that's a willingness to accept information that's coming your way or a thought that, or feedback or a thought that's coming your way. Takes a certain amount of skill as well, I think.
2: Yes, 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 thank you. So in some ways, the definition of compassion in Buddhism is, we could say, right listening. It's not part of the Eightfold Path, but maybe it is in there somewhere. (laughs) Uh, But yes, uh, the the Bodhisattva of compassion is the one who hears the sounds and cries of the world. So listening comes first. This is the practice of dynamic patience. Of paying attention and it helps as you say it's very clearly if we if we listen to somebody if we hear what what their view is how they're feeling maybe we can find something that's co- that, that something in common that we can speak about even if we you know imagine at first that there's nothing in common but but just to listen carefully is compassion and yeah, I would, I think, uh, so thank you, Jerry. I think that, that background of uh, listening and, and be, listen, right? listening means being willing to learn, being willing to hear other views so that we're not caught by our own view. So very important. So thank you. Other comments, questions, responses? Yes, Matt, hi.
5: Thank you for your talk, Tuggin. Very important, a very nuanced topic. And thank you, Jerry, for bringing up listening and compassion. Um, I was thinking when you were talking, you know, we're programmed throughout our childhood to give an answer right away in school. Like, we know the answer. We don't think about timeliness. (laughs) You get rewarded for being the first one to give the right answer. And you have to deprogram yourself from that. So, I love this topic Um, I especially uh, have been working with timeliness and agreeableness, right? Because um, it's really tough to not give someone the answer, even if it might not be the right time. Um, you know, there's a koan, I forget which one, but it's uh, where the, the student is asking the teacher for the answer and the teacher knows and won't tell him. And then years later, the student is, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for not telling me. And right. I, I love that story because it's, it's so true. We, when you tell someone right away, you're taking away their opportunity of figuring it out for themselves, and that's um, that's not helpful. Um, last thing, and maybe you can talk more about this, Tygen. I am with you. I think we should talk more about the environment. I think part of the reason we're in the mess we are now is because it's not very agreeable to talk about it. It's kind of a downer, but it is reality. <laughs> and if we ignore it, that's not very timely. you know too often we don't talk about it because we don't want to be a downer so i don't know i mean talking about the environment clearly it's true clearly it's beneficial to talk about this but i've been working with this and i I wonder if you have as well when do we talk about it and how do we do it in a way that it doesn't have to be agreeable like with racial justice sometimes it's tough to hear this stuff but we have to we have to face our suffering so anything you have to say about that
2: yes thank you for the for that um Yeah, part of what. So we do need to, to face the realities of injustice in our country and in our world of um, climate damage, which is. I mean, it's it's obviously happening. The enhanced hurricanes on the on the Gulf Coast, the fires all over the West Coast, um, the intense heat. Uh, I don't. I, I haven't heard if if the if this uh, august in chicago has been hotter than than average but it has seemed very hot at times um uh it's uh, climate climate damage is happening so i we do need to talk about it and you know my job is to is uh i feel like i need to as a clergy person to put it that way to respond to things happening in the world so i do talk about that sometimes My job is also to um, take care of this wonderful deep ancient practice and teaching tradition so explicitly my job as a zen teacher is to keep this practice and teaching alive and continue it Um, and i don't think those things are separate but they may seem separate so sometimes i talk about about Buddhist practices and all, and teaching stories and so forth. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think it's helpful to um, talk about what's happening to the climate, but not just as a downer. There are things we can do. It's uh, you know we may have passed certain tipping points so that we know that uh, there will continue to be climate catastrophes, but there are things we can do. There are ways we can each act in our own life to support, uh, you know, to, in, as a consumer, to support things that are help more beneficial for the environment and, the, and to, um, you know, uh, to respond to uh, the, the people with power in the world, Congress people, corporations, whatever, to encourage uh, uh, ending fossil fuels, energy systems. That have, We have to do that soon, you know, or else things are going to get much, much worse. So even if things are bad, and even if uh, some of the effects of uh, climate damage will continue, um, how bad it will be for us and for, Future generations, for our children and grandchildren, we can make a difference with that. In what we do now, and what we do in the next five years, in the next ten years, there are things we can do. And you know, it's true that uh, renewable energy, um, solar power, and, and other sustainable energy sources actually are more effective now, are more inexpensive. Uh, And the fossil fossil fuel companies are, and nuclear power companies anyway, they're they're being subsidized. So we can respond about that. We can talk about that. We can, um, there are various groups that are acting to try and lobby for change. uh, So we can support that. So there are actually things that we can do. Things that uh, will make a difference in how bad the climate catastrophes are. So that's so. So uh, to say that, and I think this is also true about, you know, racial injustice, for example, or about the threats to democracy from white supremacists, or, or, or healthcare and, and COVID. To talk about this is not a, just to be a downer and not just to feel hopeless. So if I thought these things were hopeless, I would never talk about them. But there are things we can do in all of these realms to actually make a difference. Everything we do makes a difference. This is part of the law of cause and effect of karma, that we make a difference in uh, the world. And we all have this ancient twisted karma we we chanted about. uh, And we all have, you know, uh, uh, causes and conditions that obstruct the way as the Koman says, but there are ways to um, to respond that will help so and I think this is something that i'm not haven't been so good at myself i think I, I think I need to speak about all this more in terms of the possibilities, the hopeful possibilities, as bad as things are. We can make take a, a bad song and make them better, you know? Anyway, thank you for that, Matt. So we have time for one or two more comments, if anyone has anything else they'd like to say about skillful means, about right speech, about listening. Oh, uh, Karen has her hand up. Did you have something else, Karen?
0: Yes. If there's, if there's no other comments, I appreciate an opportunity to comment again or ask another question. Um, What is truth in the context of these teachings? I think that is in my mind, a burning question uh, both when it comes to the discussion about vaccines and when it comes to the discussion about climate change um, because I feel like, I feel like there's, there's an agreement here that uh, scientifically proven facts are considered true, but there might be people who don't have that confidence in science. And I wonder how, how to engage that in a context of right speech and skillful
4: means.
2: Good question. And I'm tempted to respond not in terms of the situations that you describe, but in terms of Dharma, um, that truth is reality. What is reality? Of course, (laughs) we have, you know, I was talking about right understanding and uh, that right view means that we try and see things clearly and we listen and try and get information. And we try and discern what is uh, what is false information. Um, but also that means listening, listening to others. It means not holding on to your particular view, but being willing to learn. Um, so another way to talk about truth is suchness. Just this. Just what's in front of us. So we have this practice of facing the wall. And whatever comes up, how do we pay attention to the suchness of that? Letting the thoughts and feelings go, they come again, but there's some space in between sometimes. Uh, And even with the thoughts and feelings, there's a space where we can be present and pay attention to what is. And then there's also... uh, one of the really helpful teachings in Buddhism is about the two truths um, and, and there's all, all kinds of ways that that gets spinned around and we end up with the five degrees in Soto Zen or the fourfold Dharma dhatu in Hua Yen. but the two truths basically is there's the ultimate truth and there's the conventional truth and they're both true so, so ultimately, our idea of ourselves is a fiction. it's a delusion, and we are caught in many delusions as human beings, and we can't see uh, everything. We can't we have limited faculties, perceptually, intellectually, spiritually. Um, but there is this perfect balance in the background, this ultimate universal truth. And we kind of get some sense of that in Zazen, more or less. Sometimes we have some dramatic experience of it, that happens, or we get some understanding of that. But there's also conventional truth. Conventional truth is that that we have to follow. When the light turns green, we can go. When the light turns red, we stop. Or uh, there are people who uh, are addicted to fake news now. Um, which i can call okay fake news because i you know it's obvious to me um but then how do we uh be kind to those people and listen to them and hear what we have in common so conventional truth is um a kind of reality a kind of truth as well so uh is there one truth or reality uh, in some sense yes In some sense, there are many truths, many realities. So um, navigating that is is a great challenge. And uh, just stopping and sitting helps. So good luck. So if there's any, I think we have time for one more comment, if anyone has something. Hi, Jason. Hello um,
6: so, Matt, you brought up a really good point and uh and Tigan's answer was very eloquent, and I appreciate both those points quite a bit um, the The thing that I've been kind of mulling over and thinking about in terms of how to approach those hard topics isn't even necessarily to it's not about sometimes trying to prove a point, but to illustrate where you're like, where you are coming from or where your heart is or where the beauty lies. So sometimes instead of talking about the climate collapse and the utter breakdown that's happening now, it's, Oh, did you hear that bird? that bird is such and such. And like framing the beauty of something often leads somebody to think on their own about, Oh, wow, what is happening? What is going on? Um, so I, I have a tendency to just think in those type of terms. And I'm trying to be better at trying to speak that stuff more often. Cause I don't know it's always been more helpful to
2: me anyways. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. So in, in the midst of all of the difficulties, of course uh, we still can sit sazen We can still uh, walk around and uh, enjoy the trees and the flowers and listen to the birds. And, and uh, uh, I live near the Chicago river and I like to walk over there sometimes. And uh, yeah. There's lots of things to enjoy in our lives, even if the world is burning, or maybe it's not. Maybe they're not separate. Um, yeah. So, I don't know if you have this in in New York, Jason, upstate where you were, but recently in Chicago, and and I haven't heard them the last couple of days, but maybe I've just been in the wrong places. But we've had cicadas. Or cicadas. I'm not sure how you pronounce them, but they're they have this this uh, rasping. Sound that's kind of constant, and um, people in Chicago have been exposed to that a lot. Uh, Some people think it's irritating, so the sounds are to differ in in terms of pleasing or harsh, it says in the Sandokai. I kind of like the sound of the cicadas, but um, anyway, uh, there's all kinds of things to appreciate in the world. So, thank you for adding that, Jason. It's important. So maybe on that note, uh, we can close with the four Bodhisattva vows, and then we'll have announcements. So, if, so uh, Alex, if you can uh, lead us in the four Bodhisattva vows, please. Of course.
1: Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow
7: to realize it.